The Art Dealer Diaries are brought to you by Medicine Man Gallery, located for over 26 years in Tucson, Arizona, specializing in antique Native American art, early Western art, including the famed Maynard Dixon, as well as modern art. You can find everything online at medicinemangallery.com. There's over 6,000 objects to select from. Also, the Charles Bloom Murder Mystery Series, written by yours truly, me, Mark Sublett. There's six books in this series, and they follow the protagonist Charles Bloom through all the intrigue of the art world set in Santa Fe and the Navajo Nation. These can be found on Audible, eBooks, Amazon, and of course, the gallery at medicinemangallery.com. Had a wonderful talk today with Fred Fellows. Fred is a cowboy artist of America, and in fact, is the oldest living cowboy, active cowboy artist uh, in the organization. Very interesting guy. We'll hear the stories of how he started working as a saddle maker and working as a cowboy uh, until he became an art director for a defense company. I mean, he's really interesting and has seen it all. One of the most unique people that you're going to hear on my podcast. And this is a great podcast. I hope you enjoy hearing Fred Fellows. It's professional around here, Fred Fellows. I see that. You can see this is real. This is the real deal. I can see it. I saw I, it. I knew for a fact that you would show up with that cowboy hat. Did you? I did. Well, it's part of my uh, part of my way of living. Persona. Yeah. It's more than a persona, though. It's really you, yeah. right? The hat. Yeah. So, I, I'm trying to think if I've ever seen you without one. Now I know you don't wear it indoors a lot of times, but. I'll take it off as a gentleman. No, nope, I don't uh, wear it indoors, and I don't wear it in elevators, and yeah. I don't wear baseball caps either. So Yeah. You know, when I was in the military, I got so used to you never have a cover on your head when you are indoors. So yeah. immediately I take it off because you get, you'd get in trouble big time if you did. Um, so anyway, I've got Fred Fellows here on the Art Dealer Diaries. We've been trying to do this for about three months, I think, something like that. And he finally made time from his art, his ranching, and all the things that go along with Fred Fellows to come in and talk to me. Now, I'm excited to hear from you, Fred, because there's some stories I don't know about. Well, I'm, I'll try to relate them to you as we go along, <laughs> long life's weary road here. Yeah, well, it, it, it is sometimes, isn't it? Yeah, now and then. Yeah, you've had, you've had your fair share of ups and downs in the last 10 years, I'm and I don't mean that from an artistic standpoint. You just keep plugging away. But you've had a couple close calls of your own, haven't you? Yeah. Yeah. Well, we'll talk about those maybe if you'll let me. So tell me, you know, you grew up, you started your life in Oklahoma, right? Yeah. I was born in Ponca City, Oklahoma, which is in northern Oklahoma. It's I mean, on a... Yeah, I even know where that is. Boy. Right by the Osage Indian Reservation. Uh -huh. And uh, my granddad was a, a civil industrial engineer and... Uh, of course, you know that was the home base and the main refinery for Continental Oil, which was mm -hmm. Conoco. Yeah. And uh, the governor uh, and Lou Wentz, uh, the governor of the state of Oklahoma, lived there actually. Mm -hmm. And uh, there, that's the home of uh, Bryant Baker's Pioneer Woman statue, which is probably one of the best statues in the country. You, and when was when did that go in? That's, that's I'm not sure in the 1920s or 30s. So but, you remember it as a kid seeing it? Well, I remember standing down below, looking up at it, and just wondering, like I couldn't believe somebody actually did that, you know. And it was just beyond, you know, when you're a nine year old kid, you're just 
but it impressed me quite a little bit, you know. Is that the first piece you think that you mentally made? It really, about? really, really was. And then, but my grandparents had a, a few paintings in their home. Mm -hmm. And my aunt, I had a kind of a crazy aunt uh, by the name of Violet, and she studied, uh, she went to Lynchburg, Kansas, to that college over there, and studied under Berger Sansane. Mm -hmm. And then they would pack up and go to Taos in the summertime and work with uh, Nikolai Fashion over there. So it was like 40s time frame? Or even yeah, earlier? yes, right right before the uh, Second World War, pretty much, yeah. And uh, so anyway, I grew up, and uh, I know my granddad took me over to Wool Rock uh, and Bartlesville. And, uh, For those who don't know Wool Rock, that's a great museum. It's in the middle of nowhere. In, incredible. Yeah. And uh, also at Wool Rock, they have... The uh, when they were getting ready to do the Pioneer Woman statue, they had all the top artists in the United States did a maquette, which was about two feet tall, and they cast them in bronze and they sent them all around the state, mm -hmm. and let the people in the state vote on which one they wanted. And the Pioneer Woman by Bryant Baker was the one that won out, and that's the statue that's there. It is incredible. Yeah. Do you know any of the other artists that would have? All the that? all the great artists that were they doing had, like W. R. Lee, I know he had um, stuff at, at Willow Rock a lot in Willow Rock, right? I don't know if he ever yes, yes, he yes, yes, he he's got a lot of them, and that's one of the only museums where every painting in the museum is framed with the same frame. And why is that? I don't know. It's just something that Frank Phillips <laughs> wanted. Frank Phillips liked it, and he wanted it, and. And so I know he built a, a museum. So I know they had a first phase cheese blanket up on the walls with staples in it on one point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it was always I found that shocking but amazing at the same time. So you grow up in Oklahoma. I was born in Oklahoma yeah. in Ponca City and grew up there to about the ninth grade. My folks got divorced. My dad uh, went into the Navy as a full time career naval man. Uh -huh. Ended up being an aide to uh, Admiral Nimitz in in. Uh, in Honolulu during the war. Wow. And is that and, how you got your connection to why? Because you do no, have that No, 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 no. We'll get to that a little bit later. Oh, I wore but, this shirt, But the uh, I know it. I love that shirt. <laughs> yeah. It's a little bit wilder than most of mine. But yeah. uh, anyway, uh, uh, my parents, uh, my mother remarried and uh, my stepdad, and we moved to California uh, with a 37 Ford sedan with a mattress tied on top and a tub on the back and it looked like grapes of wrath and, and what year would that have been that, that would have been right after world war ii and it was uh i would guess about 1947 right in yeah, there so not that far after grapes, no. grapes of wrath that really i mean that whole exodus was like in the early 30s to mid well it was 30s, so. well a lot of people was a land of <clears throat> milk and honey you know and and California sounded great, and so, at any rate, we moved there. And uh, where did you guys end up? We well, we ended up. Uh, the first place we lived was in uh, uh, <clears throat> went right down by the by the beach, uh, at a little town by the beach, and uh, then ended up in Linwood, California, which was uh, that's where I went to grade school and where I ended up uh, in high school after school and then after I got out of high school being a, I worked at a saddle shop and, and served my apprenticeship as a saddle maker. And so was that your when you worked at that saddle shop 
was that just happenstance you found it or did you go no I want to be around Cowboys I, I just liked I liked the West always and uh, you know in Ponca City and my my grandmother's brother rode with uh, Buffalo Bill in the Wild West show wow. and, and we've got a we've got a, uh, a postcard from him sent. From Buffalo Bill? From uh, uh, from my uncle with a picture of him with his shaps and everything on at Earl's Court in London when Buffalo Bill was there and was shipped to my grandmother, sent to my grandmother, and we, we still have that. So anyway, but I, I grew up uh, uh, listening about the West and, and loving the West, and so it's just uh, born in me, I guess, so... At that time, there were still Indians walking around Ponca City with blankets on. You yeah, know, I believe that. Osage sure. Indians. But uh, at any rate, uh, I, I got a job at a saddle shop, and, and I kept working there until I actually learned to make saddles. And it was a Lyle Butler saddlery. It was in Southgate, California. And then Lyle moved the saddle shop to Paramount, California, and I was working there uh, for him. Mm-hmm. And uh, there was a there was a uh, there was a, a, a man that uh, old guy that ran a ranch up in the Mojave Desert. He ran the Jameson Ranch owned by the Monolith Portland Cement Company. And he came in to have some saddles repaired one time, and he said, uh, "Freddie, he says, why don't you come up and work for me and Cowboy on this ranch up there?" And he said that at that time I was I was roping steers. In, in rodeos, in team roping. And, and how had, old would you have been? Because you worked at the saddle I, shop I, at 16. About 19. So you'd been working, make, now you're making actual saddles yeah, by 13. and 20, 19, 20 right yeah. in there. And, uh, and uh, I was heading the steers for a guy by the name of Tiny Mattis, who was a brand inspector at the Los Angeles Stockyards. And anyway, and then working at the saddle shop. And he said, well, you know, Roping steers in a rodeo in a roping arena and everything is not the same as punching cows on a ranch. And why don't you come up and work for me? Mm-hmm. So I asked Lyle Butler, who I was working for there at the saddle shop. I said, "What'd you do, Lyle?" And he says, "If I was you, I'd go up there. I'd be a good experience for you." Well, that was a really generous thing for him to do because he's losing one of his guys that's making saddles. Right? Yep, repairing them a yeah. lot. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, I uh, loaded my horse in a trailer and a little one-horse trailer and my bedroll and everything and drove up into the Mojave Desert and drove into the the road to the ranch in the great big barn and pulled in next to it. Nobody was there. And uh, unloaded my horse and fed the horse, put in, put, him, put her in the barn fetter and cleaned out the trailer and rolled my bed up in the bottom of the trailer there and uh, slept that night and uh, the next morning I got up and fed her and then I see dust on the road coming in and here comes Smokey Bethel so he said well you made it in okay and I said yep and it was breakfast time you know and I I said I don't know where there's where the ranch house is and everything I said I just found this barn he said well there isn't any ranch house and I said, you mean I'm working on a ranch that there's no ranch house? I said, where, where do you eat or anything? He says, well, there's a restaurant right down on the highway. When you turned in on that road, there's a restaurant there, and a gas station, a restaurant. And he said, it's owned by the Monolith Portland Cement Company, the same people that own this ranch. And he said, you can just go in there and, 
and si- order anything you want and sign your name. Oh, you I you said, I, I said, oh, you got to be kidding me. You can go in there if you order a hamburger <laughs> for breakfast and a malt or something like that and just sign your name. He said, that's right. Anytime you want, you just go in there and get anything you want. I said, God, this is a great place to work, you yeah. know. So anyway, I started working for him. And, and, did you uh, order a malt and a hamburger? The I sure day? did, <laughs> almost almost every day. And I and I and so I started working for him, and and I found out that uh, even though we were moving cattle and and branding and doing a lot of stuff, a, a lot of the work that the cowboy has to do every day horseback is not as romantic as a lot of people think. And a lot of mornings I'd have to leave the saddle up my horse and put a snake on it and a and a pipe wrench and. Uh, uh, a snake is one of those uh, cable deals that plumbers use to clean out pipes and stuff. Right. And go go up to clean out springs up in the mountain. It's a dry country. It's a high desert. It's by Tehachapi. Uh, where Dixon used to go, I think. Yep. And, uh, and I uh, would go out and, and they would have a spring with a pipe coming out of it and it would be a, a couple of crossbars holding up the pipe and it would drip into a big tank. And if it dripped all the time, then they'd fill the tank up. But uh, if those cows would go up there and knock over the deal that hold the pipe up, then the, then the water would just be going into the ground and pretty soon those cows would just be sucking mud up there and could drop and die, you know. So yeah, it's an important, an important job yeah. if you're working on a ranch like that. And so that's where I worked. And, uh, and then, uh, then Would you do this by horseback, all by horseback? Yes, all by horseback, because the only way, there was no ATVs or four-wheel drive right. deals or stuff like a Polaris Ranger or something then. I mean, uh-huh. boy. I mean, and it's too high up in the in the mount, up a canyon and stuff to walk carrying all that stuff, you know. So anyway, uh, there, uh, one day, Smokey said uh, there was a telephone call to you down at the restaurant and you got to go down there and and it was from your stepdad and i said geez so i went down and my stepdad at that time was working for northrop aircraft and i went down to the uh restaurant ordered a hamburger and a malt (laughs) and uh called my stepdad up my stepdad said uh how would you like to go to work at Northrop Aircraft in Hawthorne, California as a commercial artist C. Now there's A, B, C. You can imagine C's at the bottom. That's doing paste up and 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 speedball lettering on charts and stuff like that. So I said, I, I don't know. I got I always liked art and I had no art education, but I just liked art. So I went back and I asked Smokey, I said, Smokey, I said, what do you think? God, I said, my stepdad offered me a job at Northrop Aircraft as an artist, you know, and what do you think? I hate to leave him, you know, and everything. He says, well, he says, if I was you, I'd do it. He says, I'll tell you why. You'll never make enough living cowboying on ranches or making saddles in Paramount, California. He says, if I was you, I'd do that, there ain't no doubt. He said, beside tomorrow we got about 400 acres of, of, of hay bales that we got to get up. <laughs> he said, I, I thought to myself, oh, my God. Man, he was yeah. really generous. Yeah. So I called my stepdad back up and told him to tell the vice president of the, the, where he worked there at Northrop Aircraft to 
that I'm on my way. And so I uh, jumped my loaded, rolled my bed and and jumped my horse in the trailer. And did you ever have a real bed, or did you have to sleep in the barn? No, just a. It was just a. I slept in the barn on my in my in my bedroll on a cot. He wow. finally had a cot yeah. in there. So <laughs> anyway, and and how long were you cowboying before you left? About a year and a half. Yeah, that'll do it. And, uh, and got back into Linwood, uh, California, and uh, showed up at Northrop Aircraft in Hawthorne, California, with a three-piece suit I just bought <laughs> uh, and a attache case with Playboy magazines in it. So, and that was about it. That was how official it was. I'd that looked. your view of what an artist should look like? At oh that point? man, look! Well, I had to look. Had to wear a tie every day. I yeah. mean, it's a, a business deal. I mean, yeah. suddenly this is not an artist. Yeah, from cowboy to <laughs> yeah, That's it's a, not an artist studio or something like that. But at any rate, I went to work there, and uh, I I really liked it. I liked it, and I just loved it, and. Uh, it was a great uh, experience for me, and uh, I couldn't wait to get to work every day. Wow. And, uh, and I found out that uh, I hate lines, standing in lines. That's why I could never go on a cruise ship or something, because I stand in line for you know, your dinner and then stand in line for your dessert and stand in line for whatever. And so uh, when, when it came time to punch out, because there was a time card. You had a card you punched in, punched out there. And you had to go through security because it was a security area. We were working right. on 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 secret stuff for uh, the the Army and the Air Force. And, uh, and what year would have this been? Hmm. Yeah, it'd be in the 50s, but anyway. Yeah, it was before Vietnam. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so uh, we would take and... Uh, Five o'clock would come and everybody would clean, or, or four forty-five would come and everybody would clean their desk up and go down and stand in line to punch out. Right. I hated to do that, so I just kept working, and I found out I could just keep working and up till five, then clean my desk up and pull the cover over it, and walk on down. Nobody's there and punch out and go home. Well, every time there was a chance for advancement, my immediate supervisor, who was a vice president said, shit, you're the only one around here that works. You know, I mean, <laughs> everybody else goes minutes. everybody else goes home even before it's time and you stay here and work and everything. And I said, well, I like to do it and I don't like to stand in lines. So every time there was a promotion, then I was the one that got it. And so uh, pretty soon they said, how would you like to be? The Jack Smith left, who was the art director there, and he went to Autonetics which is North American Aviation. He got a, a, a good job there. They said, how would you like to be the art director? And I said, geez, that's great because you go on salary. You don't have to punch a clock anymore. You're on salary and you get a special badge that everybody goes, oh, man, he's got a, <laughs> he's got a green badge with a top secret uh, deal underneath it. So, And I went there and, and so, you know, after I worked there for about seven years and I was the art director when, when I left. Did that change the way, because <clears throat> in other words, as an art director, you had to supervise people. Yeah. Did, did it become less fun because you weren't actually making art as much, or were you still making art? No, I was, I was the art director over an art group, and they're all good artists, good guys, and plus I did artwork myself. I mean, I just can't pass everything off. And uh, 
And so we were always working on something. And then half... Did any of those guys turn out to be artists, like fine artists? Or they yeah, a guy by the name of Gil Rudolph did and went... Uh, and another, I can't remember the other guy's name, but not not that anybody would know who they are, but I know they went on in art. Mm-hmm. And uh, but half of the half of the the group was artists, and the other half was writers, mm. because everything we were doing proposals that go back to uh, on on fire control systems and things like that, and that's what our de- our whole department wanted to do was to get work study contracts for some wild thing that some engineer came up with. So we would put together brochures and flip charts and stuff that that they would take back to Washington, D.C. to the Pentagon and try to sell it. And if they got a, a, a work study program for like $20 million, that's great because they're they're getting money just to study something, not to manufacture anything. And so that's it, it was a lot of the work that we did was doing that. Have you ever seen any of those brochures come back up with your artwork on it anyway? No, but uh, <laughs> you know once in a while. And then and then we also uh, our art department we we were working on a low altitude penetration system. It's a fast moving radar for the Cobra gunships, and and uh, so so we had. Uh, we put together the wood shop came in and built a, a, a cockpit of a of a gunship and then uh, all out of plywood and uh, but then we'd get two the uh, two seats in or an ejection two ejection seats in if it was for like a n156 a, a fighter and and the real seats in and they'd set them in there and then uh, then we would, Design. They had, they would tell us what they had to have for for the fire control system, and we would design it and do it in black on white with Leroy sets and everything, and 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 do the whole thing in ink on white vellum, and then send it to the Photoshop, and then they would reverse it so it'd be white on black, and then we could glue it down on the panel, and it'd look exactly like the mm-hmm. the real thing. So right. the so the test pilots would come in. Two test pilots that worked with us uh, would come in. Uh, Bob Gorham was one. He was the first guy to eject uh, out of an airplane at uh, over 400 miles an hour uh, over Fort, uh, Port Wyneme. He was flying a, a, a spotting plane out of there. But he would come in. They'd come in and sit there, and then they'd say, okay, you know, they'd bring up something like you're going to, you know, you uh, you've acquired a, an enemy, so you want to put him on the radar. So you'd have to reach and touch it, and he'd say, "No, that it. You got it too far forward. That's got to be back here." And so, so we'd by the time it was all adjusted, then where the the test pilots were happy with it and everything, then they could go to manufacture them and put them in there. You know, so no, so important stuff you're doing. Really, stuff. it was really a fun deal, and uh, and so uh, and you did that for seven years, right? Yeah, and but saving money is what I really wanted to do was to go paint, and I wanted to go to t- move to Taos and you paint. Did, right? You yeah, have. eventually, but uh, eventually saved up uh, uh, enough money to uh, do that, and in the process got a divorce. I'd been married and uh, got a divorce, and uh, and eventually moved to Taos. And well, I wanted to quit first of all. Uh, I worked for Northrop in a top secret deal, and so I went up one day and 
I told him, I said, I'm, I'd like to tender my resignation. Mm -hmm. And they said, what do you, why? And I said, well, I'm, they said, you're on salary and you're the art director of this department and making good money. And, you know, we work Sundays and all the time. So I says, I want to paint pictures and stuff like that. I said, well, you can't quit, you know. I said, what do, what do you mean I can't quit? He said, well, you have a top secret clearance and you just can't just walk in here and quit. I said, well, yeah, I've seen you guys hand out pink slips two days before Christmas firing people, you know. And, and, and you say, I can't quit. I said, that's right. And, and if you do walk off the job and you don't come back, I guarantee, they guaranteed me I'd never work in, in aerospace again the rest of my life or anything that was had to do with military. So I had to tuck my tail between my legs and <laughs> walk back. And they eventually got a, a guy to take my place. So you had to wait until somebody took your place. And how yeah. long did that take? About three or four weeks right in there. So I moved up to, uh, uh, finally left and uh, moved to Taos. Now, and how old were you then, Fred? I can't remember. So I was in my 20s. But anyway, that's where I met Ned Jacob. Yeah. So Ned and I would go out and paint together. And then we'd also go to the, to the post office every day and see if we had any checks in there or money. And then go have coffee and, and decide what to do, you know, and ran out of money. So... What what was it that was that said? Okay, I'm quitting this good job. I have the slightest. Pay. I have the slightest idea. I, I think about that right now. I'm 84 years old. Yeah. I look back and I think, how on earth did I ever think I could do that? Yeah. You know? I mean that's a big jump. And so, anyway, so we, so I ran out of money and had to go back between with my tail between my legs back to Los Angeles. And how long did you stay in town? About a year. Do you think that was formative, though, for you becoming a painter from then mm, on? Yeah, I think it was. It was a it was really a great time, you know. Uh, and uh, met Kippy Kaus, you know, Kaus's mm -hmm. son, and and saw Kaus's studio as it was when he died. I mean, all the pots were there and everything. I thought, Still my are, goodness, extent. oh gosh. And what do you Which, what were you painting? Were you doing mountains? Just landscapes, kind of. You Not know, so much cowboy or any of that. No, yet. Mm -mm, mm -mm. nope. Uh, that was yet to come. Anyway, moved back to Los Angeles, mm -hmm. and uh, Jack Smith, who who got the job at, as an art director at Autonetics, was a dear friend of mine. I come back and I said, I don't know what I'm going to do. And he said, Why don't you come to work for me, and go on the board here at Autonetics? And uh, Autonetics was a outer space undersea division of North American Aviation. And I thought, geez, this is going to be pretty exciting because they were working on some submarine stuff. And uh, and they took over one whole floor in the California Federal Bank building in Anaheim for security reasons. They, didn't, they couldn't have security at their main plant. And so, uh, so this was total secure place. Anything you used, you had document control. You had to check out and you had to turn it back in, and and it it was each document was was documented and everything. So anyway, I went to work there for him on the board, and we worked all the time. We worked overnight and over time and overnight, and saved up five thousand dollars, and moved to uh, uh, moved to actually hope to start with Hope Idaho on 
Lake Ponderay. So this was another look. big change. You quit that job. And yeah, I went out to paint again, you know. Uh -huh. How I'm, long did you work at that place? For how many years? Yeah, about a year and a half. Yeah, so you got your money and you knew you were going. Yep, I was, you know, they knew it too. <laughs> and so I, so I went to Hope, Idaho there and was, and then moved over to, found a cabin to rent on the Bull River in Knoxon, Montana. And then moved there and started to kind of paint around and, and uh, didn't have any money, so fishing, fishing for serious fishing yeah, up there. Food. And, and why Montana and Idaho? What was it? Why not? Just I had a fr I house? had a friend that, that that worked for me. He he delivered stuff for me at uh, Northrop, and uh, Jack Kay, and he was an aspiring artist, also a pretty abstract. We were during that period, you know. And uh, he had a motorcycle, and he delivered artwork for me. And then he moved to Knoxon, Montana, and then he sent me all these glowing letters about how beautiful it was. And he, he never sent any, me any pictures of snow or anything like that. But, <laughs> but anyway, moved over to Knoxon and uh, lived there for about a year or so and, uh, and tried to paint and do draw pictures and paint and everything, just pretty hard to make a living. You know, uh, in Santa Fe, there was like only one uh, one uh, gallery that handled Western art, and, and, and at one time, only one in Taos. Was this still kind of like early 60s? Time? Yeah, and, and it was it was before a whole bunch of stuff, you know, and uh, that it really caught the, the Western thing really got got rolling you know and uh so anyway we just uh moved over to uh Knoxon and uh there was a mill there right at, right by the bridge going over to the store and I got a job Jack Kay and I got a job working on the green chain and then I found out what real work was really like you yeah, know tell me about that what's that I don't even know that's that that's and the boards come off the sawed and they're green yeah. And so two by fours, 10 feet come off. Yeah. And right behind it is a two by four that's eight feet. And then right behind that, there's there's a one by by eight that's 12 feet. And you've got to pull them off and stack them on a, that sta on a stack. That sounds dangerous, too. And it was just like, you just, they just kept coming. If you didn't get it off, it'd fall on, <laughs> go on the end, you know. It's like on a television deal with the pies coming out yeah, of a deal. Yeah, <laughs> Ricardo. Right, and uh, but anyway, uh, eventually the equipment all broke down, and when you'd hear it break down, you'd go. <laughs> and uh, but but at the store, uh, unmarked cars uh, about every two months would come in. Two guys would come in and talk to the people that run the store to make sure I was still there. And was that the North guys that were checking up on you? Uh, federal. Yeah, just because you had a top secret. Yeah. yeah. They, they want to make sure that I didn't, you know, Xerox a whole bunch of stuff or microfilm stuff right. uh, that we were working on and haul it off and sell it to somebody. You know, probably so, saw you doing the boards and figured, yeah, he's probably not. He well, they figured I, it was crazy to start with, you know. Yeah. I mean, why would you do that to start with? That yeah. didn't make sense to anybody that had a job, you know. Yeah. So art never has, you know. <laughs> but uh, anyway, I, I, I went over to Kalispell, Montana, which was right by... Uh, Knox in there. I heard there was a gun show over there. And what year would have this been? And uh, mm, 
it'd be, I bet you 59 in yeah. there. And uh, 60. Yeah. And you're 61, mid, maybe. You're kind of mid, late 20s. Yeah. And, uh, and I see all these antique guns everywhere. I just, it's great, you know. And, uh, and uh, I just thought, well, why don't I paint some little paintings of cabins in the snow with horses or Western stuff, you know, yeah. and go over and see if I can sell them at this show. And all I got to do is rent a table for 200 bucks, you know, for the weekend. So I did that, and I would take my paintings over, and I would take and uh, say, say a guy had a 94 Winchester rifle laying on a table, and he wanted 150 bucks for it. So I'd go over and I'd say, how much do you want for that gun? He said, $150. That's a nice 94 Winchester, you know, 30 Did 30. you know stuff about guns at that point or not? Barely, yeah. barely. And, uh, any old gun looked good to me then, see? Yeah. I got a little choosier later on, but <laughs> sure but anyway, anyway, uh, I'd say, well, would you trade that gun for that painting right there that I got over in that little easel over there, right. little cabin painting, you know? He'd say, you mean you'd trade that hand-done, uh -huh. hand-painted painting with that beautiful carved frame on it for this gun? I said, yeah. He said, well, I've never taken my wife anything home from a gun show. This is, I'm, you got a deal. So I went and got this painting with an $8 Mexican frame on it, yeah. <laughs> gave it to him and picked up the gun. Then I'd walk clear across the gun show, maybe 400 tables. Far away as you could get from that. Way guy. <laughs> over there. And I'd go up to this other guy that had Winchesters. Yeah. And I'd say, what would you give me for this gun? And he says, I saw it on that guy's table over there. He wanted, you know, 150 bucks for it. That's way too much, you know. I said, well, what would you give for it? He said, well, I'd give 100 bucks for it. I said, you got a deal. So yeah. I just sold my painting for $100. So. Yep. And so, Did you know you had that ability, that buying and selling and trading? No. That is a gift. No, it was survival of the fittest. Yeah. I mean, God. And so I'd taken, uh, then once in a while I'd trade for something and keep it. Like I'd trade for a 76 Winchester and I'd go home. I'd go, well, you start what researching stuff and figuring out what it was. So I'd, I'd, I'd go, I'd, I'd go buy the Matus book on Winchesters and start to read that. And then I'd buy the Servan book on Colts hmm. and start to read that. And so then I'd start to, to know what to trade for, you know. And, uh, sometimes I'd take one home and kind of clean it up a little bit. It is like an, uh, attic found or something, you know, mm -hmm. and make it look a lot better. And, uh, and, and so I started to kind of deal in guns and paintings both. And so that, that really worked out really well in Kalispell. And then I, we bought this little house at Woods Bay, a uh, 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 two story log house at Woods Bay for $16,000. Mm. And, uh, the telephone was like only four numbers. Uh, but, uh, would take and uh, Dr. Nelson, who was just starting a practice in Kalispell, mm -hmm. and uh, and uh, and he was just starting to practice, and he just loved art, and 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 he really, uh, I I don't know if he got it from his folks or who it from, but he really, really put together some great stuff, you he know, was some an Russells. Yes. Yeah. And. Uh, Great, great guy, and uh, we got to know each other really well. And uh, he had come out; uh, he had come down to Woods Bay, and and buy a painting or two or something that really just was wonderful. And then there was a guy by the name of O'Neill Jones that had a gallery in Big Fork, 
and he was friends too. And then there was Paul Mesa. They were referred to as the Callus Bell Mafia, mm-hmm. all dealing in art, all, all, and so that really helped me out a whole bunch. You know, I mean, I could, they would buy your painting. Yeah, I could I could paint stuff, and they were buying it. See, Charlie Russell plowed some fertile ground in the state of Montana. Yes, everybody that lived there thought that, my goodness, they got to get a. A painting or a something of a sculpture of a Montana artist because it's going to be worth a whole bunch of money someday. See, right? <laughs> and so, so, and so. Anyway, uh, that worked out really well. And then they were just starting. That I heard that they'd started the Cowboy Artists of America. And that was '65. They started. Mm-hmm. Now I was still roping steers all that time. Uh, I, I had a horse and kept him at Flathead Lake Lodge, a dude ranch about four miles north of and where we were roping lived. for like rodeos and stuff like mm-hmm. that. Yeah, yeah, team roping and and, and rodeos and and uh, always doing that uh, uh, and interested in the West from that standpoint. And so uh, anyway, it just worked out. Uh, I applied to be a member of the Cowboy Artists of America. This was '69, mm-hmm. and they were at the hall in Oklahoma City then. They had just kind of started, you know, having the shows there. I think they only had two shows before I think I was in the third one. And uh, anyway, uh, they had me send my work to the hall. And, of course, it was down the basement. And at that time, all the members would would go down and look at the artwork and see where they wanted that person in the cowboy artist or not, you know. Yeah. How many guys were there at that time? Maybe 15, yeah. 16, right in there. And uh, and so uh, anyway, when it came, to, and then I flew there, I flew to Oklahoma City the, the, the weekend that they were going to pick a new member. And, of course, they didn't announce it until a month later. But it was a great show, and uh, uh, my granddad was came down from Ponca City, and, and, and it was great to see him again and everything. And was your painting in, or paintings in that show? Mm-hmm. They did. Yeah. But you didn't know if you were a member yet. Uh-uh. And uh, so went back, went to, to the airport in Oklahoma City and got on the plane. Uh, Frontier Airlines, I think, was flying then. Uh, got on the airplane to fly back to Kalispell. And uh, one of the members was, uh, oh gosh, he was from, he was a member of the Cowboy Artist, uh, had a wooden leg. Uh, God, I can't think of his name right now. I'll think of it later. But uh, anyway, he was getting on the airplane with his son. And so I thought, well, he had to know who the new members were. Yeah. And, and you know, it'd kill you. You know, it's like waiting for the doctor after you had a blood test or something. You know, and they'll call you for three or four days. You know, you don't know if you got something or not. But anyway, so I I took and uh, I managed to sit next to him, <laughs> and uh, so we started talking a little bit and everything. And I says, "Oh, uh, by the way," I said, uh, "Did you guys take any new members in this year?" <laughs> he says, "You know." When we, when we got ready to to look at the artwork and everything, they were going to bring it up and put it in in a uh, a room. He said my leg fell off, you know, and he says I couldn't get it back on. So, 
a couple of the guys at the uh, Cowboy Hall of Fame who were maintenance men come up and got me and carried me downstairs and put me on the table and got uh, by the vice and got it f- fixed up to where I could get my leg back on. And when I got back up there, it had already been decided. So he says, I never knew who was who was in it, who was voted in or not. So I go back to to uh, Woods Bay and just get back to my little studio painting and everything. And, and the telephone rang about two days later, and it was Ned Jacob. And he says, congratulations, you're, they voted you in as a member. He says, I know they don't tell anybody till later, but he said, you've been a friend of mine for a long time. So he says, I thought I'd call you and tell you. Did you know that was going to be a turning point in your life at that point? No. No, because uh, it wasn't so much. They just started showing the art there at the hall. And so uh, the Cowboy Artists of America wasn't a, it, it's, it started as a, as a group of artists, some guys getting together around a campfire on a ranch somewhere and, uh, and just visiting and talking about things that, uh, that they could talk about. You know, you'd, if you had a cowboy artist got with a bunch of plumbers, you wouldn't know what to say, you know. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but uh, if like-minded people uh, like, uh, well, Joe Beeler used to say, and I think it was true, that every cowboy wants to be an artist, and every artist wants to be a cowboy. Yeah. So uh, that's probably true. Actually. Yeah, and so uh, so we all Joe and uh, he roped and uh, and a different uh, and Fippin did before he died, you know, and everything. Uh, there were so it all started basically as a camp out, getting together on a ranch, some ranch somewhere. And see how they work cattle and 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 camp out and the whole works had nothing to do with selling art at that time. Yeah, but they knew cowboy, those those guys. Yes, that that's that's the that was the whole idea of how it started. You know, a lot of members uh, ended up being cowboy artists that never owned a horse in their life. But but the West uh, is is uh, and and. The, is more of a thing of the heart than it is probably uh, the actual doing it. I don't think you have to be a, a cowboy in rope steers or something like that to be a some sort of an artist, you know. No. Well, Howard Post did. He yeah. he he roped and and uh, Joe Beeler roped all the time. We roped together a lot of places. Bill Owen was a good cowboy and roped and punched cows on some big ranches and and uh, Bill Neverker. We roped together at several jackpot team ropings and stuff, and uh, so there's there's a few of them, but they're all cowboy at the heart. Yeah, and they like to, and they learn and look and see. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean that's the critical component to me is if you capture what really is going on that you're not, you know, you've got to have at least been around that environment to understand not only just the imagery but I think just the language as well. Well, you know, like, for instance, uh, n- n- nobody painted uh, probably the fur trade in the Indians at that time than Clymer, and he was a great student of it, really. And nobody's painting has painted uh, North American uh, Plains Indians better than Turpening. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's uh, uh, he deserves... Uh, every accolade that he's ever got, because he's not only just a great designer and a great artist, but he's a, but the Indians themselves like him, you know. So, and I think if you've got uh, cowboys that like your work, 
they they see something in it that's right, and mm -hmm. they can readily see something that's wrong. Yeah, yeah. No, I have, I'm sure they have no problems telling you either if you if you did it wrong. That, uh, yeah, you need to go back to see what's really going on. You got that sense wrong, and you've got the horse is not correct. Well, there there was a painting that the uh, Mountain Oyster Club here bought one year for their permanent collection. It's an Indian coming down with a lance, crossing a stream, and uh, he's got a chrome uh, hackamore on the horse's head. It wasn't invented until 1959 or something like that. So, but you know, you and then a lot of mount, uh, uh, early uh, a lot of artists paint early mountain men and trappers with these multicolored blankets on. Uh, you know, the Hudson, uh, Hudson Bay type blanket right. that's got, you know, a red, blue, and yellow stripe on it. Right. And they, they're, they're a Glacier Park blanket. They didn't come out till 1880s, you know. Yeah, no, they should be white and brown or white That's and right. Absolutely. That's what yeah. it was. Now, are you, are you the oldest of the Cowboy Artists of America at this point? That's a standing member now, yeah. yes. I've been in longer than anybody else. How many years have you been in there? Uh, I got in right at 50 years now. Wow. Uh the uh, Gordon Snyder's still alive, but he's not. He is not a member. Yeah, he lives in Ruidosa. So next after me would probably be uh, Bill Neverker and Gary Niblett, right in there. Now you, everybody won. else is dead. Yeah, well, you're going to outlive everybody. I feel it some mornings, but <laughs> but, but you've won like the. You're one of the few that's won gold medals in both sculpture and paintings and best of show, right? Yeah. That's a real uh, rarefied air, correct? Well, uh, you know, the, the, the medal that, I, that really I really like is the medal that where the, all the membership votes on, on the artist that has the best overall show. Yeah. And that's the one that Howard Turpening always said that meant the most to him, you know. And uh, so you, the rest, everything else is like three judges walking around and they decide and add it all up and see who gets what. But uh, to me, you know, the medals haven't been that important. Back when I, when we first started the show in Phoenix, everybody was trying to win, win a medal. So, so uh, Fritz White and everybody, the dealer and everybody that did sculptures did great big ones, you know, and trying to see who could win a medal. And I decided, geez, I don't know. I think I could use the money more than anything. So I did a, a small pack horse piece that's maybe a foot tall or something like that. And 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 Kalispell Art Casting up in Kalispell cast it at a real decent price. I think they cast it for six or seven hundred bucks. And I put sixty five hundred on it in the show, and there was an edition of thirty five. And uh sold every one of them that night. And all the members said, they started to add up 6,500 times 35. That's why maybe you can add it up real quick. That's <laughs> a hell of a lot of money. Yeah, and 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 so next year, Nebuchadnezzar and everybody was doing smaller pieces and everything. Huh? Huh? And, uh, but they were pieces that people could could afford and take home and, and use. And can't everybody use something that's eight feet tall in their yard, you know? Yeah. And so how have you seen that change? You've been in it 50 years. What, yeah. What's the biggest change you'd say from that point when you guys were a small group of real cowboys to now? The membership has been about 25 to 26 people, guys, ever since. Uh, for years, uh, 
the Phoenix Art Museum, when they had the Cowboy Artists of America banquet, it was black. Everybody wore tuxedos. Uh, the spotlight was on. The awards ceremony was in. It was like the, you know, like Hollywood. It was like the Oscars for. Yeah, and it was yeah. really something. And uh, and uh, I know one year I got uh, Slim Pickens to come to be on the deal, and uh, and. Uh, and Linda Gray, who was in the Dallas series, married to J.R., she came. Uh, I was a president that year, and up at the at the banquet was sitting uh, Barry Goldwater, and next to Slim Pickens, and Thelma Keefer next to Linda Gray, and it was uh, the uh, Williams. I think it was Williams was the was the governor of the state of Arizona at that time. He was there. His wife was sitting at my table, and. Uh, it was a special deal. It was really something, and uh, and of course, I think Southwest Art was just starting. Artist of the Rockies was just kind of getting rolling, you know. And uh, I've been to two or three of the shows there where they were complete sellouts at the Phoenix Art Museum. Every piece of art sold, mm. and multiple bronzes, and and it was just great. Uh, deal and it went along for a long time and 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 still st we moved the show from Phoenix to the Cowboy Hall of Fame back where we first started and uh, they always wanted us to come back and uh, so we moved back there <clears throat> and uh, and that's been going great back there but it's not it's not the same as it was and, you know if you remember back there was a time there was probably fourteen westerns on on television. You know, riflemen and and uh, wagon train and all kinds of them. <clears throat> they all they all ended up kind of with Dallas being a modern kind of a Western deal, and that was about the end of the urban cowboy thing. There was a you couldn't go to the Denver airport that and say to somebody that's wanting to meet you there, say I you know I'd have a hat on, uh, I'd have a black hat and some boots. And 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 everybody there had hats and boots on during that period. Yeah, it's different for sure in Denver now. It's different now. You walk in, and I was the only one walking through all the Denver airport with a cowboy hat yeah. on just recently. I'm the one without the beard. Yeah. <laughs> there's a uh, there's a, a gentleman that built a wing onto the Cowboy Hall of Fame, Bill Atkinson, oil man from Tulsa, and he's in his nineties. And he called me up a couple of years ago and ordered uh, buck and horse bronze for one of his sons for Christmas. He had two sons that was in the oil business with him that didn't want to be in the oil business. And we got to talking a little bit, and uh, I wanted to know where he wanted this bronze ship, ship to, and it was a dude ranch in Colorado. And I said, uh, I said, well, tell me about your son. And... He said, well, my boys didn't want anything to do with the oil business. He said, when they were little kids, he said, my wife and I took them to the dude ranch every summer, and they could not wait until to go next summer up to the dude ranch. Mm -hmm. And they went there. We, I took, he said, I took them there. They learned to ride horses. They learned to, to do kind of gym canna, barrel racing, and things like that. And they grew up there. And they married and had families. And they took their kids there. So we all were there. And, and, and eventually got to the point by where 
only the people that were at the dude ranch were people that were there last year. There was no not room for any new new people to come to it. It was so popular. Yeah. And he said the people that owned the dude ranch were ready to retire. And they wanted to sell it. So he says, I'll just buy the dude ranch and let my oldest son mm -hmm. live there and run it. That's what he wants. So that's where he was living and running it. And it got to be full. And there was another dude ranch that was for sale. So he bought that for his other son. And the overflow from one could go to the other one and vice versa. And it was great. They had the same kind of stuff. Had a great bar set up. Yeah. Everything was great. Kids had to eat separate. Kids could not eat with their folks. Everything was great. Had rides for folks and a ride for the kids. Everything was separated when you got there, kind of. And so anyway, he said that was up till about five years ago. And he says about four or five years ago, he said, my, my kids, my boys have noticed that the kids that come to the, with their families to the deal kind of go off with their cell phones and they're texting other people, other, other friends and kids. They don't want to sit around the campfire and, and sing cowboy songs or roast hot dogs. They think it's corny. And he said that uh, they're not interested in riding horses, very few of them. And they really are, are, then it's like, when are we going home? And he said it's a, it's, he said it's a totally different uh, thing yeah, than what. Different vibe. You think that's the future of Western art in the West? Uh, I, I think it's changed a lot. Uh, I don't think the guy down to the uh, service station can necessarily put enough stuff together to buy a turpening or, 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 or a, a, a nice piece of artwork or something. But I think as long as there's, there's uh, places like Vail, Aspen, Santa Fe, Jackson Hole, Whitefish, Montana, uh, Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, places like that. Missed one. Where? Oh, yeah, Tucson, <laughs> Tucson, Arizona. Yeah, yeah, but Tucson and Scottsdale, it's a, it's a given kind of, you know. But uh, but as long as uh, the point I was going to make is that when somebody retires from back east and they bought this beautiful lot overlooking the valley and uh, Vail or Jackson Hole, and they build a beautiful big log and rock home. First thing they do to get to town is they buy a good hat, maybe one that's even been worn before, and a, and a Levi jacket and kind of fit in because want to be part of the people that live there and love the West and everything. Mm -hmm. they're, they're not going to necessarily hang Hawaiian landscapes in their new big log home in the West. Right. They're going to want Western paintings, landscapes, wildlife, and, uh, and, and sculpture. And 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 that's I think that that's still there. Yeah, I mean, that's, I agree. Actually, I don't. I don't see that changing. And and there there's an age. Uh, there's a certain age where people still, if they're if they finally get to a point by where they can afford to buy some stuff, and they retired. There are a certain age though where where now they're going to buy that that uh, Mustang 
that they could never Mustang coupe mm-hmm. where they could never get it when they was a kid from in school and fix it up and drive it around. Mm-hmm. And that's where all the muscle cars and Jackson Barrett and 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 all the Krauss auction sales are going to. You look and see the guys in the audience is buying those cars, and and they're they're from a they're obviously retired and yeah, 50s, 70s. Yes, right, yeah. And that's so I I think that's kind of where it's at, but it's solid. There's artists that I know that that lived in Big Fork when I first moved there that I don't even know if they're still alive and they are or what they're doing. Now, an artist that's got staying power and stays in there. You know, Joe Beeler said one time, and it's a, been a truth with the same with me, uh, that he said if 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 he couldn't sell any paintings or anything, he'd still paint if he was driving a truck. Mm-hmm. And I'd still be painting if I was making saddles somewhere. Or, or sculpting. Or, you know. Which do you consider yourself, by the way, or do you? A sculptor, a painter? Started out painting first, really, and then then later on, there's a, there's a, I found out you could do the same thing and look at it from different directions, you know, which is kind of interesting. And, of course, Russell did it, and so did Remington, and falling along is it's not a rare deal, I don't think. And, uh, yeah. well, it's not common, but yeah. it's not rare because... Yeah. Uh, because Beeler did it, and uh, and Bill Owen did it, and very well, I might yeah. say. And uh, so Howard hasn't, uh, but he didn't need to. Yeah, well, Post has done a couple, but uh, Turpening hasn't, and I don't think Dixon ever made a sculpture in his life either. Mm-hmm. Um, but so I didn't get the answer though. Which are you, a painter or a sculptor or both? Or you can't. I think painting is harder yeah. uh, to me. It's harder, and. Uh, I always say that doing sculptures like stacking wood, that doesn't make my wife happy. <laughs> she, no, no, it's, uh, of course, she does monuments. and, and uh, We're talking about your very famous wife. That's right, that's right, yeah. Be yeah. She's as good a sculptor that there is going right now, too. And, uh, and so, but, uh, no, it, it's just different. It's like comparing apples and oranges yeah. and everything. It's just it, a totally different mindset, you know. It's like saying what you'd rather do, paint pictures or tie flies or yeah. or, or something like that. It's different, you know. It's a, but 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 sculpture is, uh, you know, she's got that, you know, gold water in the rotunda in the United yeah, States you know, Capitol. Yeah. And, and I know a lot of artists in the United States that give up painting just to have that, yeah. have one of those yeah. there, you know. Well, you have a major, and I was just going to talk about it because we, we have just a few minutes left, but the Hawaiian... Big sculpture over in the Big Eye, Waimea, mm-hmm. uh-huh. which we go over there quite a bit, and it always amazes me. I walk in, you know, to the shopping mall, and I see a huge Fred Collins. So yeah. How how did that happen, and what's the connection there? Well, I spent time uh, on the Parker Ranch on the Big Island of Hawaii, working cattle with the cowboys. And, and when was that? Uh, that was back. Uh, I was in the members Cowboy Artists of America. Yeah. Deborah, Deborah, and I. Uh, every year would go rent a house at Puaco and uh, and go over there and spend a month and take Fabi with us. Mm-hmm. And then we'd go up and uh, work on the ranches and uh, and in the afternoon, uh, in the mornings, and then in the afternoon go down and snorkel and, 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 and spend time at the ocean. Mm-hmm. And uh, a, friend of, a friend of mine uh, who I met, a long time ago, and we got to be very good friends, was Bill White. And Bill White uh, served two tours of duty as a Navy SEAL. And uh, 
and decided he wanted to live in Hawaii. His family was part of the, goes way back into uh, uh, part of it. His mother married James Irvine. And so James Irvine was his stepdad. If you can imagine James Irvine that owned all of Newport Beach and Laguna Beach and half Orange County at one yep. time. Anyway, he grew up there surfing and uh, and 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 when he went into the Navy, uh, it was natural for him to go into Navy SEALs, you know. They say, if you don't mind dark or cold water, go come on. Yeah. And anyway, but he also loved art. And, uh, and uh, he started a, a gallery in Laguna Beach called uh, Blanco Art Gallery. Just wasn't there but a year, I think. And he came to the Cowboy Artist Show and uh, said uh, to me one time, he said, you've got to come over to Hawaii. You won't believe the cowboys in Hawaii. Yeah, there's some great cowboys there. And so, uh, so eventually did go over there, and his boys were just starting to really rope. Then he he roped too, and he had a great arena. And two guys, uh, Kenny Miranda and Zanga Shooty, ran the ran his uh, roping arena there, and were the top cowboys on the island, rodeo cowboys. The top cowboys working cattle and stuff were for the Parker Ranch and Puwawa and. and uh, Kukaya on different ranches that surround the islands. There's a lot of them. A lot of people don't realize it, but the island just covered with the ranches. Yeah. We're talking the big island. Big island. And also uh, Kauai and Molokai and, uh, and Lanai has one also, big ranch. So anyway, so I went over there and we spent some time there and I got to know all the cowboys on the islands. And I roped, uh, we worked cattle up on the Parker Ranch and uh, up on Puawa and uh, and roped at the different rodeos. The USTRC, it's a United States team roping deal that's nationwide and uh, put on big team ropings everywhere. Uh, Bill White Arena, Halekia, was the arena that they used for their finals for the Hawaiian Islands. Mm. And so Deborah and I both roped uh, in all the all the team roping finals up the island. Of course, we got to know everybody on the islands. Yeah, and small. And, uh, and got to know them really well. When it come time that they wanted to do this monument, getting back to your question, they put it out to several several people, not just me. Yeah. Uh, so the little model that I did, everybody was to kind of do a little model. I had to... Hawaiian saddles and the whole works on it, right? You know, not just a roping saddle like you'd use now. And 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 of course, the part of the part of the board was the cowboys that decided on the ranch and everything what to put up there, you know. And so uh, they picked me to to do it, and uh, it was a big job, you know. It's like for 40 feet long it's and 20 foot tall. It's a huge, huge sculpture. It's right in the middle of YMA. You can't miss it. And, you know, it's funny because we go there all the time and I just feel like I'm at home every time I'm getting a Starbucks yeah. at YMA. It's like, there's Fred. And I people like it. it too. I've talked to people yeah. around there and they, oh yeah, we love that sculpture. That's, you know, that's, yeah. that's considered to be part of their uh, heritage, I think now. I think it's only the second sculpture that was on the island. The first one was down in front of Javi. Uh-huh. Uh, it was on King Kamehameha. Yeah, I've seen it. I've been there. I've been there. Yeah. Yep. It's always got lays it around the snake. It does always have lays. And you got to watch the coconuts because there's some really high coconut trees right there and they'll bunk you on the head. And the other one 
is in front of the Bishop Museum on Oahu. Mm-hmm. Uh, they cast that to go in front of, I think, the Bishop Museum to start with. And it was on a ship that went down, sunk. Yeah, that's right. sunk. And uh, and they cast another one. I think that might be the one in front of the Bishop Museum. Of when they when they salvaged the other one, brought it up and brought it down to Javi because that's where he was born. King Kamehameha was born at Javi. I've been to his birthplace right yeah. there by that big heiau. Yeah, that unbelievable heiau, which is again a place you got to go and see if you haven't. It's, I know it. It's um, it's unreal actually. Well, the time that we spent up on the Parker Ranch, the last big uh, gather. And, and all the cowboys and everybody from the Parker Ranch had a luau for Deborah and I, mm. and all horseback. And so oh. we got a picture of all of us lined up up on, uh, um, uh, up on uh, Mauna Kea. Oh, you got to give me a you got to get me a copy. It's of that. it's a great all the cowboys. You got to get me a copy. All the that. cowboys are there. Sunny Kikilani, and uh, a lot of the cowboys. Uh, Sunny Kikilani is a, a national treasure right now for the for the islands up there. Freddie Rice just died and he was a uh, he ran cows on Kauai and uh, a fishing boat out of uh, out of Kona. And uh but uh there's a I I met a uh, one of the cowboys on the ranch that I roped with a whole bunch was named Clayton Bertelman. That does not sound like Hawaiian, Hawaiian does it? Yeah. But he was pure Hawaiian yeah. just and uh, and it was his brother who, with a group, built a hokulea, the voyaging canoe that went to Tahiti. Mm. And and he went on one of the one of the trips on the hokulea to Tahiti. But anyway, we were roping one night at uh, Halekea and team roping. And after the roping was over, everybody would kind of gather around. The trucks were parked with the trailers and everything, and play ukuleles and, and sing a little bit and talk talk story about stuff and uh and uh he was sitting right next to me and they would have like poopoos yep and um which is hors d'oeuvres yep and then pee is cattle you can have pee pee poopoos <laughs> and anyway we're sitting around talking everything and, and clayton bertelman is right there or big black hat great big thing Good cowboy. Died, had a heart attack and died. I said to Clayton, I said, Clayton, I said, if you were going to be executed tomorrow, you were in prison and you were going to die, what would be the last meal that you would you would order? And he, you know, a lot of Hawaiians are very superstitious. And he looked at me like a bolt of lightning hit him, like I knew something he didn't know. <laughs> and he just looked at me and his eyes got great big. And and I went on to another subject, yeah. and and, uh, and so about an hour later, he said, Freddie, I finally figured out what what it was I, I want to eat, you know, like he was going to order it, you know, like I was going to order it for him or something. I said, what's that? He says, I want a great big thick steak. And he says, I want to pound sea salt into it and just throw it right on the coals on Kiabi. Yeah. Kiabi is mesquite yeah. on the islands. Kiabi is mesquite on the coals. And he says, I want a case of Budweiser. <laughs> and he said, I want a pot of poi. And he said, that's it. That's yeah. what he wanted. Yeah. He was raised with poi yeah. and meat and uh, Budweiser. So yeah. 
And spam probably too. Oh yeah, gosh, spam, <laughs> spam sandwich, you bet. Yeah, I'll take that over the boy. The yeah. only boy I can handle is the stuff that actually has some flavoring to it. Yeah, this, they have a pink, a kind of a purple one from Tahiti that's sweet. Yeah, it's pretty good. It's yeah. not bad. The other stuff is kind of tastes like paste in my palate. Yeah, but it's Hawaiiana. If you don't go and try the boy, you're not really getting the whole feel of Hawaii, in my opinion. That's right, Fred. Yeah. We've already done over an hour. No. Yeah, way over. Oh, geez. I had some stories to tell you, tell too. Me, well, tell me one last story. we got time. Is there anything you want to share in the one last thing? Let me see. Uh, Charlie Kamura was running the Parker Ranch, and we were over there, and we were open at the arena that night. He didn't rope, but he come down to watch. And he said, Freddie, he says, uh, you want to go with me tomorrow to North Kohala? He said, we've... I pulled all the cowboys from the Parker Ranch from everywhere, 250,000 acres. I pulled them all here. Old Japanese guy that ran all the cattle on the North Kahala division of the Parker Ranch was retiring, and Sonny Kekalani was going to take it over. But he said we had to know every year there was a right amount of cattle to come in, and we shipped out of there, and everything looked great and everything. But he says we know that a lot of cattle got back because, you know, the mountains, you've been over them you, on both roads, up yeah. upper road, the bottom road. get in that high stuff, yeah. it's impossible to get them out. And so anyway, so uh, he says, I'll stop by and get us a lunch tomorrow and uh, pick you up and we'll drive out there. I says, okay, let's go. So I met him out there and he had the lunches and everything. You're going for strays. Yeah, and uh, so we went down through Kauai High went through that lower road. We're going on the lower road. And when we were within probably two miles of the pens along the ocean, the big pastures all along the ocean, you could hear the cattle bawling. And uh, he gave all the cowboys orders. Nothing goes back. If you got to rope it and drag it into a truck, get it down there. He says, I don't want anything up in those mountains. I want to know what's going on. So we we pulled up to pretty close, and Sonny Kikilani come riding up on his horse. And all you could see was cattle almost all the way down to Javi. Wow. And Charlie said to Sonny, what's the count that you got right now, as close as you can get? He says, I, ballpark's fine. I know it's impossible to count them all right now. But he said, it looks like we have right around 10,000 head. <laughs> Absolutely incredible. And some of those had to be wild. Some of them were bigger than horses. They were they were they had big horns on them. Some bulls were wild. And oh, yeah. I mean, it was really something. And I asked Charlie, I said, what in God's name are you going to do with this many cows, you know, to... I mean, where you go? What's what's going to happen to them? You know, yeah. he says I'm going to. We're going to. Looks like we're going to have to ship a lot of them to Oahu, to the yards over there, and, and see if we could sell them on the local market. And uh, because a lot of them are, you know. Oh yeah. Anyway, I don't know what they ever did with them all and everything, but you well, know they've been working on trying to clean all those out because they destroyed how, the land up in there. Oh, right? they did. You know, and they they'd chase you oh, yeah. if you was up there. I know they they uh, they are uh, uh, just about got them. I think they they probably did get them all cleaned out, but yeah. there's still a lot of cattle up yeah. there. That's still a big division. Sonny doesn't run that anymore. I forget who runs it now. But uh, 
anyway, that was that was one of the deals from the Cowboy Artists of America had a trail ride over there. And so uh, so Joe Beeler and, and Bill Neberker, Bill Owen didn't go. And uh, uh, and uh, I think we got Gordon Snyder was in then, and he might have been on a horse with his, he always on a horse with his camera, you know. Yeah. And we were there just to work, help the cowboys. And we gathered about 700 head of Angus cows up on Mona, Mona Kea. Mm-hmm. And we're going to take them down to the headquarters, down you, you know where the uh, where the fairgrounds are, mm-hmm. right outside of town there, and we were going to take them down there and and put push them all in down there, and so we got them all gathered up on the mountain up there, and I was next to Bill Neverker and Sonny Kigalani was over there, and a couple of the other cowboys. Uh, they said now don't get in front of these cows when we start down the mountain because they know where they're going and we've got to push them down there. And uh, so, But just don't get in front of them or, or get in amongst them, you know. Just stay on the outside because they know where they're going. Yeah. And there's a gate down there that's maybe 16 feet across, you know, the rest of our fans. And they started, we started behind those cattle. And Bill Neverker still talks to it about it this day. They started down, those cows started down that mountain. All those black Angus big cows started down that mountain on a run. Pretty soon it went, well, it started as a trot. Pretty soon it was a lope. Pretty soon it was a dead run. And it was everything we could do to stay up with them on our horses. And they went They went through the fence okay. They took all the fence out all the way down there, right through it, everything, wow. into that big pasture and everything. Oh, my God. Yeah. And, That's something to see. And I was, it was, it was, Mons. it was wild and Coming everything. Coming off Monica, no Wild, wild deal. And uh, I said to Sonny, I said, my God, he said, look at all the fence they took out. He said, they do it every year. <laughs> so anyway, he said the fence crew's got something to do tomorrow. So. Yeah. Anyway, that's that's just one of the other things, you know. Well, you've got you've taken out a lot of fences over the years, I'm sure. Yep. And it's so great to have you, Fred. You, you know, you've been my artist for I don't know, 15 years. Yep. I just love getting your art. I love your paintings, your sculpture, and it's been a pleasure and an honor to get to spend a little time with you and learn a little more about Fred Fellows. Thank okay, you. my friend. All right, all right, Fred Fellows, Art Dealer Diaries, not one to miss. Thanks, Brad. Shake hands again. All right. Now, yep. like that, and like that. I went over, when the first time I got over to Hawaii, one of the cowboys, when we were roping steers that night, and we pulled in, and I hadn't met anybody, so I go up to, like, Sonny Kikilani yeah. and say, hey, notice you guys shake hands funny over here. Yeah. I said, How, how's that? And he said, well, you go like this, yeah. and then you go like that, and yeah. then you go like that. And I says, okay, let me get this straight, like this, like that, like that. I got it. I got it now. So I go back two years later, and I go, Sonny, how you doing? Right. And he goes, like that, yeah, like that, and like that. <laughs> I said, last time I was here, you said it's, you said it's like, like that, and like that, and like right. that. And yeah. I said, now you've changed it. I said, what's going on? He looked around a little bit, and he says, every now and then we change the combination. (laughs) (laughs) Fred Fellows. And on that, you know the secret handshake. If you're a a haole, if you're a haole, they change the handshake. (laughs) Thank you again, Fred. My pleasure. Very good.